Welcome to the Practice of Theology. My name is Tyler Kirkpatrick, and in addition to hosting this podcast, I serve as one of the pastors of Cross Point Church in Columbus, Georgia. The Practice of Theology exists to help the local church engage theology on a deeper level and learn how it applies to daily life. Today, we have the privilege to enter into a conversation with Dr. Albert Moeller to discuss the topic of Christian worldview. Albert Moeller serves as president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. In addition to his presidential duties, Dr. Moeller serves as president of the Evangelical Theological Society. He also serves as a council member for the Gospel Coalition and is co-founder of Together for the Gospel. He hosts two programs, The Briefing, a daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview, and Thinking in Public, a series of conversations with the day's leading thinkers. And he also writes a popular blog and a regular commentary on moral, cultural, and theological issues. Widely sought as a columnist and commentator, Dr. Moeller has been quoted in the nation's leading newspapers, including The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and The Washington Post. He has also appeared on such national news programs as CNN's Larry King Live, NBC's Today Show and Dateline NBC, ABC's Good Morning America, and Fox's The O'Reilly Factor. Called an articulate voice for conservative Christianity at large by the Chicago Tribune, Dr. Moeller's mission is to address contemporary issues from a consistent and explicit Christian worldview. He is the author of several books, including We Cannot Be Silent, Conviction to Lead, Culture Shift, and Words from the Fire. To find out more about Dr. Moeller, you can check out his website at albertmoeller.com and follow him on Twitter at Albert Moeller. It is both an honor and joy to have such a dear friend and mentor on the podcast today. I hope this conversation spurs you to think biblically as you look at the world around you. All right. Well, Dr. Muller, I want to start by thanking you for giving us a bit of your time. Uh, it really is a great honor and a joy to have you on the podcast with us today. Well, thanks, Tyler. I'm really glad to be with you. And uh, you've been a friend for a long time and uh, proud of you and your ministry. Yeah, well, thank you. It really is a it really is a personal honor for me to have you here. The topic we're considering today is that of Christian worldview. So let's go ahead and uh, jump right in to the questions. Okay. Uh, the first is this, can you define worldview for us in the broad sense? What is a worldview? Well, everybody has one the, the same way everybody, uh, everybody has to think. Uh, and, and you can't think every thought as if you've never thought anything before. So in one sense, the worldview is all your accumulated ideas of how the world works and uh, and what's meaningful and who you are so it's your picture of the world that's what we call it worldview the the word only really came into our vocabulary when there were other worldviews that christians confronted and then we said wait just a minute it's not just that we disagree on that issue or this issue it's that we disagree about what truth is we disagree as to whether you, there is such a thing as truth we mm-hmm. disagree as to you know what god's plan for humanity is we disagree about whether there's a god and so uh the most basic questions you know have effects throughout our entire system of thinking right right uh no that's really helpful and i wanted to lay that groundwork because obviously the next question is what is a christian worldview specifically so so what do we mean when we say christian worldview and then maybe a secondary question you can answer for us does everyone mean the same thing when they say that well i'm sure it's not true that everyone means the same thing in the sense that you know i've I'll probably talk to three major news reporters today, and every one of them will use the word Christian, and I've got to figure out what they mean by it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so if you're putting Christian in front of worldview, yeah, what you understand Christianity to be is going to determine what you think the Christian worldview is. But in essence, the Christian worldview is this. It's uh, it's the way of creating a, 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 an entire system of thinking that's based upon the scripture and, and is distinctively Christian. It starts with, you know, the pre-existent, self-existent God who created the universe for his glory uh, and then continues all the way through his purposes. It tells us who we are. It tells us, first of all, who God is. It tells us what the world, you know, is all about, who made it. Uh, and uh, of course, everything from right and wrong to, you know, who we are and what marriage is. And so, you know, it's a, it's a complete picture, but it all comes back to the, the foundation. It always does. And so uh, I was uh, preaching on John 19, this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you look at that entire passage, John 18, 19, uh, you know, it, it includes the, uh, the passage uh, in which Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And I just pointed out that everybody's got to answer that question. Everybody has to operate on the basis of what we think the truth is. Uh, Pilate was there being, you know, uh, quintessentially evasive. You know, mm-hmm. he, he goes down as the great negative model of evasiveness. He knew what the truth was. But, you know, what you think uh, truth is and uh, what you think reality is, you know, it's going to affect everything you you think from that point onward. Right. Okay, so so that's helpful. Here, here's a follow-up question to that. Is, is the Christian worldview, is that intrinsic to all believers, or is it something that must be cultivated within the believer? Well, we have to think about it. You know, Paul uh, uh, tells us we're to bring every thought captive to Christ. And so that's a part of Christian faithfulness. We have to think as Christians. Uh, in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul talks about being a living sacrifice as a Christian. And he says, no longer conform to this world, but transform by the renewing of your mind. So we have to think uh, as Christians. And look, uh, we're living in a time in which we have to think a lot. We have to think fast. We have to think faithfully because the world's throwing stuff at us. You know, my great-grandfather didn't know what LGBTQ was. Right. You wouldn't have believed it if I tried to describe to him. Right, right. And, uh, but now this is the, uh, the, the, it's forced on us as the stuff of conversation around a family table. Uh, you know, this is, this, th- these are huge, huge issues. Uh, just, just think of the headline is why I do the briefing every day. Just think of the headlines, you know, uh, and, and, and some of it's looking at issues from afar. So, you know, uh, as we're talking, there's a pretty massive military exchange between Israel and the Palestinian uh, groups, especially Hamas. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, everybody in the media is talking about it. It's very clearly a big story. But, uh, you know, Christians can't just start with, wow, that's something interesting. We've got to figure out, wait just a minute, what's going on there? And uh, so, I mean, everything is coming at us. Right, and anyway, yeah. the, way the, news, the way the news works uh, these days and uh, and add social media to that everybody's talking about everything all the time and so and even in the nearly 30 years i've been president here at southern seminary and uh, you know i've been involved in the media i was a newspaper editor before i came here uh so i've been a part of that world the whole time but it used to be that only a very small percentage of americans cared enough to watch enough and read enough and listen enough to know what's going on in the world now it's brought into it's brought onto everybody's smartphone, and and by the way, not always in a very truthful or, or, or helpful way. 
The other thing is, is that the culture is now omnipresent. It pushes everything on us. And again, that is a big change, even in my lifetime. So, you know, there are going to be people who are going to be listening to our conversation and they'll remember a time if they're, if they're my age or older, uh, they'll remember a time when, um, Christians in, uh, you know, faithfulness in Christian churches didn't think about these things being local issues. You know, someone somewhere is having to deal with this. And now it's, uh, it's everyone everywhere. And uh, so, you know, I, I was a pastor in, in rural Kentucky um, going on nearly 40 years ago. And I can guarantee you that most of the members of the church I served then confronted very few big cultural issues at all. But their grandchildren live in that soup 24-7. That's a huge change for Christians. Right, right. Well, and I think just as I hear you you talking about it, one of the other difficult things that we face is we have all of these people talking about it and exactly at the same time and being delivered up in front of us on our devices. And, uh, right. you know, it's not flip to this station, get a little bit flip to that. You're getting all of it at the same time. We're, we're inundated with all of these different things that we are supposed to believe. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's why a conversation like this is really important for Christians to have. Yeah, and uh, Tyler, you're so right about it coming all the, uh, you know to everybody all the time. So I just did a little experiment the other day. Uh, there was a uh, a news story that broke. It's what what it is isn't all that important, but uh, I just uh, when I knew the story broke because uh, I uh, I I had some advance word. I uh, I thought okay, I'm I normally don't watch the Twitter feed, but I thought I'm going to watch the Twitter feed and see how long it takes. And it was about three minutes. And, and the problem is that most tweets were not very truthful. And, and by that, I don't even mean the people meant to lie. It's just that people on Twitter will just make judgments immediately. Okay, that's what this means. That's what this is. Look, here's what that means. And, uh, you know, oftentimes it doesn't mean anything like that at all. Right, exactly. Uh, okay, so let's trace this just a little bit further. Uh, many people claim to hold a Christian worldview, and yet, many of these same people arrive at very different conclusions when they apply this particular Christian worldview that they say they have. Yeah. Uh, my question for you, are there non-negotiables when it comes to developing and identifying a true Christian worldview, or is there simply just a lot of gray area? Yeah, there's not much gray area, I don't think. Mm. Well, give me an example, Tyler, of, uh, of where people say, this is a Christian worldview and they're, they're diametrically opposed. Yeah. So I think one of the ones we see most common mm -hmm. is people's political views. So right. something like, let's, let's even just call it something like the topic of abortion. Um, right. When applying a Christian worldview to that, there are some people who just clearly say that my Christian worldview informs me that I, I would never vote for right. a candidate who holds a pro-abortion stance. And then a, a person who has the same Christian worldview would say, well, I can't support that at all. So how, how do we arrive at a place like that? Yeah, I don't think it's the same understanding of the Christian worldview because uh, you have to think of two different two different things, okay? So let, let, let's say on the one hand, on the other hand. On the one hand, what is required of the Christian worldview? And, you know, I've, uh, I've kind of dedicated my life to helping to make that clear. Uh, it starts with the doctrine of creation, you know, and, and so it has to be grounded in the fact that, for instance, on the issue of abortion, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, uh, frankly, all you need is Genesis chapter one in this respect. Every single human being is equally made uh, the image of God. 
and uh, that is from the moment of fertilization until natural death which is to say there's no there's, there's no point at which all of a sudden the image of god appears it's there from the beginning mm-hmm. and the human dignity is there from the beginning and uh so that's the one thing so you, you start out with truth what's truth and, and i i i think most christians would immediately say i i agree that's true the second thing is how does that get translated on the other hand into who i support for office you know what what decisions i make where i do my business you know businesses i'll buy from businesses i won't buy from uh, but that requires us also to ask the question how fundamental an issue is this mm-hmm. you know and so I'll, I'll tell you that what's happened again just in the last several years is that these issues have become so stark so it, it's not like we have two parties on the question of abortion or any number of other things mm-hmm, right it's not like we have two parties and uh you've got some uh, like a venn diagram you know you've got shared territory so uh 30 years ago there were pro-choice republicans and there were pro-life democrats now the majority of republicans were pro-life the majority of democrats were pro-abortion i'll just say um but it's not it's now not that at all uh if you're pro-abortion or, uh, or you might even style it as pro-choice, you really don't mm-hmm. have a future in the Republican Party. You, you just right. don't. If you are pro-choice, I mean, if, if you're a pro-life in any sense, and I mean almost in any sense imaginable when it comes to the unborn, you've got no place in the Democratic Party. And, uh, you know, even uh, the, the platform of the party made that abundantly clear in, in 2020. So, you know, I, I don't think there are many people suffering in political agony about how they vote. Uh, but there are other issues that enter into it. And, and there, there are two situations that make the political context very difficult um, at times, not always, but at times. One of them is when there is another issue, such as personal character that arises and you say, well, okay, that's got to be a part of the equation, but I, I, I've got to figure out how much of the equation that is. And uh, the, uh, the other situation is one that is confronted by many people in some context. So, for instance, if we were in Canada would be one example. Mm-hmm. Uh, both the major parties are pro-abortion, including the one that's called the Conservative Party. Ba- right. Basically, I, I realize I'll have Canadians who complain about the way I characterized it, but the fact is that uh, on, on social issues, uh both of the a lot of the candidates for both of the parties will be uh, uh, you know pretty similar on the social issues so christians can find themselves much of europe the same situation mm-hmm. uh christians can find themselves in a situation in which there is no candidate who comes close to representing our worldview our concerns right right so um in in 2017 and i'm i'm quite sure that you're aware of this um Actually, this would have come out when I was uh, serving in your office, but the Barna Group published findings that revealed only 17% of Christians who consider their faith important to them and who attend church regularly actually hold to a biblical worldview. Uh, and 2017 is light years away from today, uh, and so I would assume the percentage is way lower than that. What What is going on? Like, h- How is this possible that you have professing Christians who actually attend yeah. church and yet don't hold a biblical worldview. Well, now you get to call out the church historian in me. And I just want to be honest. There never has been a time when, in the history of the Christian church, most Christians have thought seriously about these issues. So there is no golden age. But but what's changed is 
what I mentioned earlier, a lot of Christians never confronted many of these questions. So it, it, mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't on, on, on their radar. It, mm -hmm. They didn't have to be worried about it. The second thing is the issue of authority. And so throughout most of Christian history, uh, Christians would have turned to their pastor to say, what, what do Christians believe about this? And, uh, and so in one sense, the teaching office of the church has functioned as the people who have to think through these issues and help to instruct the church. But there's a big problem behind the pattern you're looking at, and that is that there's just not enough biblical preaching. You know, it, so let me tell you this. It, it is important that we give attention to the Christian worldview, which is why I'm very glad you're doing this and mm. dedicated much of my life to it. But actually, the Christian worldview should be what's produced by the faithful preaching of the Word of God. Right. So if the preacher is preaching the Word and the congregation is growing in the Word, then they're actually going to have their, a Christian worldview knitted together in their minds and hearts without anyone telling them that's what's happening. Um, you know, it's just like when you have a, 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 a small child, say a preschool child, you don't sit down and say, look, I really need to talk to you about understanding a moral code. You know, I really want to talk to you about uh, the objective reality of right and wrong. No, you say, don't do that because I said not to, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And uh, so there's a sense in which, uh, you know, you, you answer questions at the level they come to you. And uh, so the Christian church has, uh, has, has done that for a long time, but there aren't enough Christians asking questions and there aren't enough seriously minded Christians giving good answers. And mm -hmm. so that's where we really need to work at it. So in other words, um, you know, I can remember when uh, I graduated from high school and uh, it was a long time ago, but I can remember when the big issue that churches are concerned about is what happens when young people graduate to go off to college, because they're, then they're entering into this alien territory where all kinds of rival worldviews are, are, are going to uh, uh, be present and, and, perhaps persuasive and, and seductive. And so mm -hmm. the problem is that now that's everywhere all the time, including preschool. And so, but that is a big change. And that's why Christians are going to have to be much better at connecting the dots and thinking through these issues, or we're, uh, we're going to be unfaithful period. Right. Um, and actually I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead okay. because you mentioned that. So, so, so let's kind of work out the practice of what the Christian worldview looks like with something like the Equality Act. Can, can you help us to think through that and understand why that is something that Christians need to be informed about and how we should think about something like that? Yes. Uh, well, are we assuming everybody knows what the Equality Act is? I, I'm not going to assume that at all. Okay. So the Equality Act uh, actually goes back to 1973 when no one thought it was imaginable, but it's mm -hmm. imaginable now. Uh, what we now know is the LGBTQ movement, which has its com a comprehensive worldview, no doubt about it, uh, incompatible, in fact, diametrically opposed to Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is, the, this is the set of its aims. And once again, you've got a party divide uh, on this. And uh, uh, Joe Biden, when he was running for, for president, said he was a proponent of the Equality Act. The Democratic House majority had already passed it, um, and, and it, it's passed it again. But he said he would give it his uh, affirmation and political support, and he would sign it if it indeed uh, uh, was sent to him by Congress. And so it's really right now up to the Senate. What that bill would do is to modify uh, the uh, Civil Rights Bill uh, 
and uh, include the LGBTQ identities, behaviors, relationships in all the covered categories. Now, right now, it would mean that a Christian school could not operate on Christian principles, right. you know, just to say Southern Seminary. It would be illegal for us to hire only Southern Baptists who agree with us in doctrine and not to hire someone who's uh, gay and, not, and, and to admit students and student housing and all the rest. Now, hear me, we're not going to do that. Right. I will go to jail before we will do that, and I'm confident that a lot of millions of Southern Baptists will be in jail with me. Mm, amen. But, but nonetheless, that's what it would mean. And look, I don't think the bill will pass in its current form because I think they will put in some religious liberty protections as window dressing. Mm. And you'll get enough kind of squishy people, they'll vote for it in the Senate. And, uh, but, and, and th th those, uh, those protections for religious liberty uh, won't even last long, or at least they'll be challenged in court. But the bigger issue is, it's going to transform the society, even if those religious liberty things. And so, you know, they don't come to say, you know, your church must, you know, not discriminate on the basis of LGBTQ plus issues. Even if that doesn't happen, the entire society conform will conform to this. And there's a sense in which we've seen this coming for a long time. You know, even the legalization of same sex marriage, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is uh, this is going to mean if it passes that anyone who uh, who wants to bring a cause you know, to the court on these LGBTQ issues is going to have the power of the federal government behind them. Right. Um, and, and so the reason I had brought it up is because you had mentioned um, uh, schools in particular, but yeah. one of the one of the things that we've already kind of mentioned is that a, a Christian worldview, well, really just worldview blanket cover, it's 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 through largely education. Now, whether that education comes by way of entering into the scriptures and, and learning from God himself through the words that he has breathed out for us, or from any of the secular worldviews that exist, they are indoctrinated within us. Right. And it seems that this Equality Act, as it's called, uh, is, is kind of a way to be in control of how People are indoctrinated, what they are to believe. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right, Tyler. It's going to be the new official orthodoxy of the American government. And look, that's going to mean everything. So, uh, look, it's kind of all of a piece, too, because uh, the, the government wants our children, even at younger ages now, you know, it's, it's, it's even a part of what's now being called the infrastructure bill. You know, uh, President Biden said in his joint set, uh, address to the joint session of Congress, he said he, he wants to add two years at the top, you know, the first two years of college and two years in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that would mean three and four year olds, basically, uh, in state run schools. And guess what worldview those schools are going to present? And uh, there's a sense in which, you know, there, there are going to be people across the country in some places are going to say, yeah, but we have local control of the schools. Well, you do and you don't. Right. You know, uh, when the federal government puts it full, its full coercive power behind this and it, it gets to set uh, mandates, um, it's just a matter of time. Right. And that time's going to come pretty fast. And for instance, I'm hearing from people in very conservative Bible Belt areas of this country who are telling me this is showing up in school. Uh, I had uh, someone right here, very close to, to us, uh, give me a, a, a statement from a school principal who basically said, it's none of your business. Yeah, yeah these are your kids, but hey, there are students. This is entirely in our control. You, you have no control over it, no influence over it. Oh, wow. And look, you and I have, have, uh, have talked about this before. The problem is that Christian parents think this is a battle for minds. It is, but it's a battle for hearts, and that's mm -hmm. a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. So um, 
it's it, it the the affections of our children are are changing. And by the way, ours are too. Uh, it's very subtle, you know. Our mm-hmm. hearts can change on us before we recognize it, and and that's what uh, the uh, revolutionaries are counting on. Right. Well, and I mean that's Paul in in Romans chapter one. He says that you have exchanged truth for a lie. Now, obviously, we understand as Christians, it can't merely be an intellectual truth. It does right. have to be a, a truth of affection, something that has so gripped you that your whole entire life has been changed. And so, I mean, that seems like that's really the the, the process of uh, forsaking the Christian worldview. It's just over time, bit by bit, exchanging truths for lies. And, and the world, Satan, he's smart. He knows that's the way that it happens. Well, we have that all throughout the scripture. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and you know, when, uh, when God is speaking to the children of Israel in disobedience, he says, you've, you've turned your hearts against me. Mm. You know, and uh, look at the heart language from Jesus in the Gospels. Look at the heart language from the apostles in the New Testament. Um, I never say anyone's wrong when they say we're in a battle for minds, because that's absolutely true. But the mind is the portal to the heart. Right. And uh, it, it's it's the it's the change in the heart we really have to to be concerned about. And look, it's very subtle because uh, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say that uh, well, let me give you a real life case, and you may have heard me talk about this before because it, it it's it's sweet uh, and very real. I had a, a couple; they had uh, you know like three children. The oldest one was like an eleven year old boy, mm. played literally, and uh, so. Uh, on their team was another 11 year old boy but this one had two moms lesbian moms and uh so they would sit together in the stands and this couple found themselves uh you know they wanted to be faithful christians they wanted to build a relationship and uh you know be able to share the gospel with them and they discovered that they really liked this lesbian couple Mm -hmm. okay so by the way we should never be surprised at that that's the imago dei in other words, right, right. We, you know, when we have a neighbor, some, sometimes we have a bad relationship, but sometimes you have a good relationship with someone and you don't even share the same worldview, but, you know, you share the same neighborhood. And the next thing yeah. you know, you like them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so this lesbian couple, they were witty, they were sweet. They obviously loved this boy. I, I get that. We want the boy to be loved. And, uh, and so, but you sit in the stands and you cheer with each other and, you know, you complain about the ref with each other and uh, then you're proud of each other's sons and, and, the, and the kids become friends. Okay, so Christians have to learn how to be faithful when our hearts say, this is, this is good, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the thing is, we have to remember there are goods in it. Yeah. In other words, this boy's being fed and cared for. That's a good thing. And, uh, and here you have neighbors sitting together, you know, parents sitting together. There's something very good about that. But we have to understand that at the most basic level, we can't believe that the picture is right. Mm-hmm. There are right things in it, but the picture is broken. And of course, the Christian worldview doesn't say, therefore, when we get to the stadium, we should sit, you know, as far as we can from this couple. No, it, it doesn't say this. It says you got to learn skills. To, tr- to follow your own heart and recognize that, yes, these are human beings made in the image of God, and the image of God is going to show in good things, a sense of humor, mm-hmm. compassion, care, winsomeness. Yes, that those are good things. 
uh, the world would be a lot easier for us to negotiate if people who disagreed with us in worldview were uniformly evil, unfriendly people. Right. But they aren't. Right. You know, I I, uh, I think sometimes Christians are surprised when, uh, uh, you know, I used to do the Larry King show very often and um, lots of things like that. And, uh, and, and Larry King was a friend and he always uh -huh. uh, treated me fairly. But, you know, I think I did that show something like 45 times. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'd be on with the same people opposing me. Right. And, uh, and I mean, we would go at it tooth and claw in argument. But, and I mean, we're talking about people whose worldview is far, far from my own. And then um, there are times when the show be over and uh, the conversation would be like, uh, yeah. So how are things going for you? Yeah. You know, or, you know, you'd have a, a wonderful conversation about something after you had just gone tooth and claw, you know, at, uh, at an issue and you really do care about it. But like I tell people, uh, that's a sign of God's grace, mm -hmm. uh, because otherwise the society would just be dissolved into violence. Oh uh, yeah. But we just got to learn all kinds of skills. Previous generations of Christians did not have to have. Right. Uh, you, you know, my uh, my church is actually located about 15 minutes north of Fort Benning uh, Army Base. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, as you're you're saying that, that was my experience when I was in the Army. Yeah. Uh, all of these people from different parts of, well, actually, quite literally the world, um, but certainly different backgrounds, socioeconomic, it just, just the gamut of difference. Right. Um, and yet you find out, wow, I... I do have some things in common and I can actually find true right. joy in right. this person's company, though we would have very different ways of thinking about the world um, and certainly different conclusions uh, about major things. Right. The skill is in being able to maintain Christian faithfulness, mm -hmm. um, which means we have to honor our relational responsibilities, but we have to begin with a commitment to God's truth. Yeah, your your witness can be upheld or diminished pretty quickly in those scenarios. Right, and look, this is where a lot of Christians fail. So yeah. let, let me let me give you another real life example. Um, Eighteen year old young man, wonderful Christian home, goes to college, and I don't mean went to like Berkeley or you know a famously liberal university. No, just went to a state university in Alabama. Uh, moves in the dorm, and you know every eighteen year old kid young person, male or female, moving in the dorms, big day, huge chance, mm -hmm. and uh, meeting all the people, meeting all the parents and all the rest. So in the course of the first few days there, and this kid is just, I, I know him, wonderful, winsome kid. Uh, this young man finds himself in a situation in which there is a student from India on the whole. And so they get to talking like the fourth or fifth night they're there about their religious beliefs and the 18-year-old young man from India says, are you seriously telling me that all my ancestors are in hell? Yeah. And this 18-year-old young man had to figure out, do I really believe that or not? Right. And he knew I believe that, but how do you say that to a young person you, you just met? Right, right. Does this end the entire relationship? You know, and sometimes Christians have to find peace in the fact that Sometimes we just have to answer questions that end some relationships. And I, I've had that happen, as you well know. Yeah. <laughs> kind of countless times. But uh, I mean, just learning how to be faithful in the midst of this. And by the way, how to be faithful in 
continuing to love someone even when they slam the door in your face. Right, right. Sue them in, in, in an evangelistic sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Dr. Moeller, um, you know, as I think about being a father and um, Lord willing, I live to see my kids grow and Lord willing, the Lord gives them years to grow. Yeah. What are some of the worldviews, right? you know, I'm thinking secularist, uh, new spirituality, Marxist, um, what are some of the, the worldviews that are there right now that are most prevalent and pressing upon Christians? You know, it's all kind of a piece. The Christian worldview is a comprehensive whole. And so you mm. figure it out from life to death and at every point in between, the Christian worldview holds together. The Christian right. worldview it can explain beauty and the Christian worldview can explain a robber. Uh, and eventually, any rival worldview to Christianity has to become just as comprehensive. So increasingly, Tyler, you know, what you just discussed is really part of a great competitor worldview. So whether you're looking at critical theory or you're looking at, uh, you know, second wave feminism or you're looking at the LGBTQ revolution, it really is pretty much all of one thing. You know, it, 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 it's all together. But yeah. Uh, I'm teaching a, a class for undergraduates right now. Uh, it's a pretty exciting class on the most dangerous ideas of the modern age. And, mm. and boy, they're connecting to it because they see them all. Yeah. And so, you know, we're talking about critical theory, Marxism. We spent, we spent the last week on Marxism. And, you know, people, <laughs> Americans often think, well, you know, that, that's far away. It is, it is right here, right now. And uh, so that's, a, that, that's just something we have to recognize. The, uh, nihilism the belief that there is no ultimate truth or ultimate meaning you know that's that that's television you know that's the laugh track of uh this will be dated but seinfeld you know mm -hmm. basically there is no truth but hey you know we can have fun along the way uh and and then you know uh the hedonism the uh, i mean all these ideas get tied together the ideas of liberation through sexuality i mean do you realize, I mean, this is what's amazing. And, and, and most American Christians, I don't think recognize this, but that is that uh, for an amazing number of people, liberation, they think, comes by sexuality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not what we believe. I mean, let's just state the obvious. We don't believe that. We don't even believe that a biblically ordered sexuality is is you know, the essence of human liberation, which I think is a part of life. Right. A uh, necessary part of life. So necessary that God created marriage and so necessary that in the first chapter of the Bible, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So yeah, God's glory is in it. But I mean, sex is now such a matter of cultural obsession that there are people who think their worth as human beings, their, the, 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 their very reason for existence and any hope they have for liberation is going to come by means of, of, of something that's sexual. And I mean, that, that, that's, that's an idea that makes society, by the way, impossible, mm -hmm. which brings us to the Equality Act. And, and I mean, the, the fact that what we have right now is LGBTQ plus. Don't forget that plus sign. Yep. Well, and that's the reason I asked that question, too, is because I think sometimes we we see other worldviews as being on the same plane as the Christian worldview, when in fact, like you just said, Christianity is, it's holistic. It's from, right. from birth to death and everything that proceeds and everything that comes after. And it explains everything that comes in between. 
you know, when you were talking about the the different pieces, I was thinking about that Johnny Cash song, I took it one piece at a time and it didn't cost me a dime, right? I mean, that really is when you forsake God's way of understanding the world in its entirety, right. you really are reliant on all of the different pieces to make sense of all of the different right. things. And by the way, when you don't like one piece, you easily get to exchange it for the next. Yep. Or I think what we're seeing right now, your piece becomes outdated and then you exchange it for the new piece that's now uh, the new model. There's that plus sign at the end. Yep. You know, uh, Tyler, I, I can't I can't lay all this out just in the span of our conversation. But, you know, the, one of the things I try to do with Christians is say, let's just take four words. OK, good, beautiful, true and real. OK, can't much live without those words. Good, beautiful, true and real. Uh, the Christian worldview is actually based on those four words. Mm. Uh, and the fact that the only explanation for the good, the beautiful, the true and the real is that there is a God who is good and beautiful and true and real so so real that he is self-existent mm. um and that also means that they're all actually the same thing to the extent that if something's beautiful it has to be true if something's not true it can't be beautiful if it's true and right. beautiful it's good you know and it's real and it's real so you know the the hardest thing for a lot of christians to understand when i lay this out this is like traditional classic christian thinking is that mm -hmm. they they say, why do you have to put real in? And, you know, I now have the most close at hand, urgent frontline issue that helps Christians instantly to understand why good, beautiful and true also goes with real. And mm -hmm. that is the transgender revolution. Right. Here's the point. It's not real. You know, you can have what you call gender realignment or gender confirming surgery, but you know, you're not changing the chromosome. Mm -hmm. X, 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 Y stay the same. The transgender ideology is based upon a rejection of reality. Now, let's just state that it should be pretty clear that being at war with reality doesn't go so well. Right. And I'm afraid this is going to end in massive, massive, massive human heartbreak. Um, the Christians, by the way, are the people who pursue with everything the good, the beautiful, the true, and the real. Mm -hmm. We want all the truth we can receive, knowing that the truth is beautiful. We want all the beauty we can behold. And, and that means it'll be true. And and we want all the goodness that uh, that God would would uh, allow us to have in this in this life. We want what's real. Mm -hmm. You know, th this is this is just the real starts with in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the earth is real. The materiality, the realness, the stuffness of the world is not an accident. It's a part of God's plan. But. Uh, we can only understand it if we understand the good, the beautiful, and the true, and the real are all the same thing. Right. And every form of human sin, as you as you know, is an effort to try to separate the good, the beautiful, the true, and the real. Well, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's Genesis chapter three. That's 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 Satan saying, right. "Hey, uh, didn't God say this?" Right. Uh, when in fact, it was a fabrication. It's not even what he said. The serpent appeared beautiful to the eyes. Right. Our eyes are not good at judging beauty. Right. Our eyes are really good at judging pretty. Right. Pretty right. and beautiful are not the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like I tell people, you know, it says, you know, you want to marry a pretty girl, marry a beautiful girl. Uh, and by the way, you got to hope for mercy here because very few of us on the male side are pretty in any sense. So, uh, you know what I mean? A beautiful. And, and that means, by the way, at a more profound level, the Christian worldview is the only worldview that explains that a child with Down syndrome is just as beautiful as uh, the cover model on a fashion magazine. Yeah, amen. And probably rightly more beautiful because 
that beautiful child is real mm. and that photograph isn't real. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Moeller, why have you, you, you mentioned this, but why have you dedicated so much, if, if not all, of your vocational life and efforts to helping Christians develop a biblical worldview? Yeah, because I, I learned it the hard way. Um, I grew up in a um, wonderful Christian home, the oldest child of four. Uh, my dad was a, in the grocery business. My mom was a nurse, but she stopped working the day I was born as the oldest uh, at, in, in the medical setting. And she had a new medical setting called home with a newborn. Um, but uh, wonderful Christian parents. I was raised in a wonderful gospel, Bible-loving church. And, uh, and I was in a very conservative community where uh, everything appeared very stable and safe. Uh, now, sin was there, but, you know, I was, we moved when I was 13. I didn't know a whole lot of what was going on in the world. But I got, my dad uh, took a new job and we had to move just 200 miles. But we moved from central Florida, which is really a part of the south, uh, to south Florida, which is really a part of New Jersey. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> culturally. <laughs> And uh, it was just hugely different because I, I now had teachers in the eighth grade who were atheists and were pressing atheism. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, it was in the middle of the sexual revolution and I saw and heard things that I'd never imagined. I didn't, I, and it blew all my fuses theologically. I was a Christian, but I just didn't know enough. Yeah. I didn't have a good answer when the, when the, the teacher would say, it's the power of a teacher, by the way, for good or for ill. But I mean, the, the teacher would say, hey, you know, here's the evidence for the fact there's not a God. I didn't have a good answer. And so, um, and by the time that I was an older teenager in high school, these issues were pressing on. I mean, even the, what we now know is the LGBTQ movement in South Florida, uh, Miami was, uh, was ground zero for, for mm-hmm. much of that controversy nationwide. Well, you know, how do Christians think about this? What are we supposed to think about this? What's, yeah. what is fair? What is right? What, 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 you know, what should the law be? Uh, so, uh, it was during that time that I was, uh, I, I was desperate for apologetics for the, the, you know, understanding how, how to think Christianly, uh, good biblical preaching was coming into my life. I just needed some real help thinking these things through. Yeah, I, I got that help. Thanks. Thanks be to God uh, through uh, numerous people, too numerous to mention, but one of them was a man by the name of Francis Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And uh, just in God's providence in my life, I had the opportunity uh, to uh, to meet him and uh, and to be influenced by him, mostly through his books. But he was helping Christians to think because he was doing uh, missions work among young people in Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, Europe was about, at that point, 20, 30 years ahead of the United States. So yeah. he was really thinking about these things. Uh, that distance between Europe and the United States, by the way, is no longer 30 years. It's more like 30 days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that that that's why. It's because, look, I was about to become, I was about to be mowed over uh, by secular modes of thinking, and uh, I'd been faithfully preached to, and I didn't know a lot, but I didn't know how to tie it together. And I didn't have any good diagnosis. I mean, I knew atheists were in big trouble, but I mean, where where's all this coming from? And I can still remember as an eighth or ninth grader having an atheist teacher thinking, where, where does this come from? Atheist parents? You know, is there an atheist church? You know, <laughs> well, how, how does this work? Yeah, right. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's just, it. we have to talk about these things. We have to explain them, think about them. Yeah, yeah, we do. Amen. Uh, so uh, on the on the back of that, a, a really short question, what are some helpful, accessible resources um, that 
that Christians can kind of delve into this for themselves. Uh, let me give to, you already mentioned it, obviously the context of your local church, um, a, a right. solid, faithful body who preaches unashamedly right. the Word of God. Uh, and then secondly, a little podcast called The Briefing. Thank you. Uh, you, you know the host. Um, but your podcast that I think many listen to every single morning where you, you help us think through these things. Uh, do you have any other resources, books that you'd point us to? You know, Tyler, I'm never really good at just coming up with the resources in a hurry. I, I would say uh, uh, World Magazine is a good source. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also have good programming, including a podcast, The World and Everything in it. Uh, I'm, I'm also on the board of that organization. I think uh, that they, they often offer some really good uh, insight. Um, there, there are some books and authors uh, out there who've done a pretty good job dealing with these things. But I, I'm hesitant to mention names because... Yeah. You know, oftentimes they will have written something else I don't recommend. So, you know, uh, right. you know I, I, I want to be careful. Uh, I, no, I, I'll, I'll tell you, one man who helped me a whole lot as a Christian teacher, and, and of course he became a very, very dear friend, and that was R.C. Sproul. Mm -hmm. And so Ligonier Ministries uh, and uh, ju just some of the material that R.C. did on the Christian worldview is about as good as it gets. Yeah. And uh, we have any hesitation in, in recommending that ministry. You know, I mean, so many people would would point to R.C. Sproul and just uh, yeah. just in admiration. But I was with you um, at a Ligonier conference one time, and uh, Doctor Sproul was um, he was on oxygen, and he was yeah. he he basically came to to do a, a session, and then he had to leave very quickly. And I was just like, oh man, Doctor Muller, can I meet him? Mm -hmm. And I'm you rushed you me up there as he was like coming off the stage and I got to shake his hand and say hi. And uh, that, I mean, that was just a real highlight to me because I, I agree. I think, I think Dr. Sproul has shaped um, so many to better faithfully engage the scriptures and, and you know, in this topic of worldview. Um, so a, a final question, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be a, a super long answer. And in a sense, I really am asking you to play the role of the prophet here. Uh, but what are current cultural issues that Christians need to be paying attention to as we look to the future? Uh, today, uh, before coming to the podcast, I had to deal with uh, some questions related to artificial intelligence. And you might think, mm -hmm. well, that's not that big an issue. Oh, yes, it is. Right. Oh, yes, it is. It's going to be used on you every time you go to an airport. Maybe used on you every time you go to your bank. Uh, it's a really good thing if it, you know, tracks a terrorist. It's a really bad thing if someone's taking note of where you go to church and uh, going to socially penalize you for going to church. And uh, that's exactly what's going on in, in China under the rule of the Communist Party. And yeah. so you think, they think, well, you know, Christians in years past, or they could hear, they could hear about artificial intelligence and they could just go, well, you know, somebody somewhere is going to have to worry about that. No, next time you get your driver's license, the whole idea, mm -hmm. you know, is based on artificial intelligence. And, uh, and by the way, it's it's a thing. In other words, it, we're not debating whether it should be developed or not. It's already here. It's just going to be developed further and further. Uh, but uh, there will be a dehumanizing effect to this. And, uh, you know, this also gets to technological inevitability. I mean, when something exists, somebody's going to use it. And if the, if the United States government doesn't use it and hopefully uses it in constitutional bounds, you know, re respecting human dignity, Communist Party in China is bound by no such scruples. And, uh, and by the way, the Communist Party in China may be hacking into the system. <laughs> you know? In other words, <laughs> all these issues are, are tied to all the others. In terms of the sexuality issue, uh, the transgender issue is by far the, the, uh, the greatest challenge. 
And uh, I think every single local church over a period of time is going to be confronted with some really, really, really hard pastoral questions uh, in, in thinking this through. I mean, the Christian church has to face new questions. Like I had a pastor call me and say, I've had someone come to faith in Christ uh, who's transgender now recognizes that's wrong and wants to be faithful to Christ according to creation order. Uh, so what now? Mm. That's a hard question, you know? Yeah. We, we, we know what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is going back to creation order, saying that's how God made me. This is who I am. I'm going to live faithfully as a man or a woman. Things can get complicated with surgeries and all the rest. Previous generations of Christians didn't have to worry about that. The hardest thing, though, Tyler, and uh, as we come to a conclusion, the hardest thing is uh, raising children. And uh, I've got Mary and I have three wonderful, wonderful grandchildren, five, two, and newborn. Mm -hmm. And uh, we love them more than we could possibly express. And I think about the world that they are going to inhabit. Uh, it's going to take a loving, devoted, obsessive mother and father who love Christ. And, and thankfully, that's the case. Yeah, amen. Um, it's going to take a wonderful biblical church preaching the whole counsel of God, raising these children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, surrounded by other Christians, not only their age, but older and eventually younger. That's the glory of the church. And so, uh, look. God is not going to glorify himself by leaving his church defenseless. He doesn't. Read the book of Ephesians and the armor of God. It's not hypothetical, it's real. And I won't preach a sermon here, but God, God, God calls his church to be faithful, and God, by the means of grace, for his own glory, will make the church faithful. We need to pray to be agents of that faithfulness. Mm, yeah, amen, amen. Well, Dr. Moeller, again, thank you so much for your time. It really has been uh, a great honor for me to have this conversation, and uh, I know that it will be helpful for all who listen. And, uh, you know, just thank you for the work that you have done for the Christian church in this field in particular. And uh, just thank you for remaining faithful and helping us to think well through these things. It's been an honor to be with you, Tyler. Proud of you. Thankful for your service uh, uh, as an intern and, uh, you know, there in my office and uh, find great pride in how the Lord's using you now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can help others find and be encouraged by this content by leaving a rating and review wherever you're listening.